sometimes the idea of gratitude As we've been praying for you this week and thinking what God might have in store for us, one of the things I'm absolutely convinced about is that if God can give you a thankful spirit, he's given you a great gift. And sometimes the idea of gratitude at certain points in our life seems almost impossible, and perhaps that's where you are today because of things that you're carrying. But I believe that God had a design when he invited you here today. He knew exactly what you need. He knows what you're going through. And I would pray that we would have ears to hear and also hearts to receive what I would consider to be one of God's great gifts next to his love, and that's the ability to be grateful. Personally, for me, Thanksgiving season is a best holiday. Simply because giving thanks to God is such a good thing to do. Gratitude is the very best motivation I know of for seeking to become what we consider to be a core value in this church, to become like Jesus. That's what we tell you always. What's the goal when you come here week after week? To become like Jesus. What makes us want to do that? I would suggest among many, gratitude is a primary reason. You see, gratitude creates a conviction that we have to make a return somehow for all that God has lavished upon us, beginning with the greatest gift of all, Jesus Christ on the cross. Now, no matter how we calculate, and no matter what problems you might have today, think about it. Spiritually, materially, environmentally, we're among the most blessed people on earth. I don't know why God has been so good. It's not that we deserve more. It's called grace. I have a friend who gives to our church's ministry, and he often says, you know, I'm so grateful to God for all that he's given to me. I can't help but give something in return. So I give to this church because it touches the community to which I owe so much. One member sends us a gift on the anniversary of her healing from cancer. She's been doing it, I think, for now 12 years, wanting always to just thank God, remembering his blessings of the past. So... If we think about it today, I want us to think of gratitude not so much as a feeling, but as a motivation that leads us to action in behalf of others. It leads us to servitude. And as part of our preparation for Thanksgiving, I want to revisit a parable that you've probably known from childhood, this parable of the Good Samaritan, because it contains a story that has various philosophies of life that people hold regarding their blessings. And again, you might find yourself somewhere among these three. The first philosophy imprinted on the Jericho Road that day was left by the robbers who attacked the traveler. And their philosophy was simply, what's yours is mine, I'll take it. Those robbers had nothing personal against the poor guy they attacked. He just happened to be the victim of their philosophy. And every day we hear about modern Jericho robbers those who bring corruption to high places, they fleece the aged, the, the weak, the ignorant by questionable business ethics. Or we just heard last year a scientist was beaten to death on the streets of Palo Alto. The only reason was some sick young men had the philosophy, what yours is mine, and I'm going to take it. And then those who simply hoard what God gives them, hoarding things and talents that God intended to be shared. He entrusted them to us to pass them on, and instead we hold them because we live by the philosophy, what's mine is mine, and I'll keep it, or I'll take it from you. 
You see, greed has no conscience. Servanthood is last on the agenda of one who seeks only to use people for their own ends rather than serve them. And it's only Jesus that can ever transfer us away from focus on self to focus on others. Now, in contrast to these robbers, the person who understands Jesus Christ and what he's done for us understands the wisdom of these words. A person's life is not measured by what's accumulated, but by what's given away. And that's really strange in our culture, if you think about it. Our worth is calculated not by what we, by what we amass, but by what we share. I'm delighted to see that spirit of giving coming alive in our church family. And you know, it's literally an inferno of excitement. A, a couple adopts a disabled child from the, Ukraine, from the Ukraine. Why? Because they said, we can't help not doing something because of the blessings that have been lavished on us. People joining work teams, serving our community and around the world. You saw them in the screens as the service started today. We had a, a 20 uh, people over at a woman who was disabled yesterday in East Palo Alto, and they just cleaned up her yard. And one of them was at the prayer meeting last night, and I asked how she was doing. She says, I'm just a good tired. You know how it is when you feel tired, but it was a good tired because you did something for someone. That's happening all over the place. My email is alive with stories of people who want to trade a life devoted to accumulating things for a life of significance found in serving others. And you know, that's a miracle if that's happening in our congregation because that's an impact that can be read by a secular community, an impact of what Jesus is having upon our lives. So you see, when it's working right, gratitude sets us free from this philosophy, what's yours is mine and I'm going to take it. Then there's a second philosophy modeled by the priest and the Levite. What's mine is mine, and I'm going to keep it. You see, in spite of their calling to be servants, healers, caregivers, as the Christian is called, these religious professionals ignored the injured stranger. And they had a very good reason. If we know the culture of the time, you see, the priest and the Levite were no doubt ceremonially clean that day. They were on their way to temple worship. And if they touched a bloodied stranger, and especially if he was a Gentile, that would make them unclean. So they couldn't go in and worship God. That's how bizarre ceremonial law had become in those times that would even interfere with helping someone. It had gotten completely away from the heart of God. So their response when they saw the injured uh, stranger was just to pass on by. Last week, we were visiting the campus where our son is doing his residency, and it's a Seventh-day Adventist school. And I was impressed by this huge, almost bigger-than-life statue right in the middle of the quad, and it was of the Good Samaritan. And there you saw the Samaritan holding the wounded stranger, and then these two figures at a distance, the priest and the Levite, looking on. And I thought, I'm certain those religious leaders, as they saw this scene, were filled with compassion. They were saying, oh, it's so tragic that we have this going on in our society. A guy can't even walk down the road without getting hurt. And thank God for that person who's taking care of them. And they just were filled with all these thoughts and they just looked on while somebody else did the caring. Gratitude, you see, if it's real, will move us from beyond sentiment to action. And the problem with many Christians is that we're like the Levite and the priest. Uh, you know, we can cry in movies, I do. We can feel real grief at the loss of a pet. It's almost like losing a loved one. We can have heart pangs when we see Hurricane Mitch and the incredible misery of millions of people. 
But somehow, often that sentiment remains sentiment. It's not translated into compassionate action to relieve human need. So a secular world watching our sentiment, it registers zero. It has no meaning unless gratitude is pushed into action. This morning, if we could only realize that everything we enjoy from God is a gift. Paycheck, children, house, job, health, intellect, emotions, car, toys, hobbies. Once we understand their gifts, not something we deserve or that we've earned, then we're motivated to go beyond sentiment to action. Now, without a sense of indebtedness to God, it's easy to adopt the philosophy of the priest and the Levite. I'm going to exaggerate it a little bit, put it in modern language, and it goes like this. What's mine is mine, and I'm going to keep it because I've earned it. I deserve it. If I help one, I can't help them all, so why bother? Anyway, most of those in need, if they'd worked as hard as I worked, wouldn't be in need. So I won't take risks to my personal well-being by trying to fix lives that are messed up by poor choices. Now, we aren't that overt, but that partially explains why we adopt often the priest and the Levite philosophy. What's mine is mine, I'll keep it, and I'll just watch people take care of the wounded and the needy. Someone gave me an article entitled The Forgotten Role. Stewardship rates barely an honorable mention in the lexicon of current business terminology. A scan of covered stories in Fortune, Forbes, Fast Company, and Harvard Business Review for the last three years revealed that leadership was featured in 12 instances, change was covered on four occasions, work was the lead topic seven times, and strategy was explored a total of 57 times. Stewardship was completely ignored. That's pretty serious. You see, when we fail to identify ourselves as stewards of our blessings, you know what happens? We become owners. And as owners, we easily fall victim to the belief, what's mine is mine, and I'm going to keep it. Gratitude, why this is such a vital virtue, is it helps us to distinguish between being an owner and a caretaker. Gratitude enables us to see our blessings only as opportunities to meet the needs of others, not a source of endless self-indulgence or provision for future security. God didn't mean us to be rich fools who build barns. And yet so often, that's what we get caught up in in our culture because we think we're owners and we've earned it and we deserve it and we put stone around our hearts for those in need. But happily, a truth many of us are discovering is the good life is not the pampered, self-indulged life insulated, isolated from human need. A sense of significance isn't found on the fast track of our culture, going places, getting things done with goals to achieve and quotas to meet. We've had that up to our ears and it doesn't satisfy. And maybe this year, under the guidance of the Holy Spirit, gratitude can open another road for us to travel. One that's not traveled by too many. A, a, a traveling on a road that will free us to risk in a way we've never done it before, getting involved in alleviating needs of those less fortunate from the barns of richness that God has laid upon us in time and talent and material things. If you don't remember too much from this message in a few days, remember this. I have a deep conviction God is calling us as a church family to graduate from endless Bible studies, endless talking about theology, 
We evangelicals are so like the priest and the Levite who no doubt were discussing theology on the road that day while there was a wounded traveler bleeding right in front of them. And I believe God is calling us to put our gratitude to Jesus into flesh and blood, caring and sharing. Because you know what? We have been strategically placed in this world where you are next week. You are to be the hands of Jesus Christ doing what Jesus would do if he were in the world today. And Jesus would not be building barns. He would not be insulating himself from the world's agony. He would be there as the Samaritan holding the wounded stranger. And I I don't know what that will look like for us, but I believe that's what God's calling us to do. And when we do, we're going to begin to taste of the abundant life Jesus promised those who follow him. You see, by the way, the, the concern of Jesus, if you really study the parable, is not for the wounded stranger only. His concern is for people like the Levite and the priest, particularly religious people who, for whatever reason, have a stone around our hearts so we don't see and we don't respond to human need anymore. And we feel no motivation to get involved and care and share. And the more misery we see out there, the more hardened we get. Such persons are more wounded than the stranger bleeding on the road. Why? Because we were created. We Christians know we were created in God's image. And that means we were created to give. And living by the philosophy, what's mine is mine, I'll keep it as a dead end. It's contrary to our nature. And it will result in misery and loneliness and frustration. So Jesus is trying to give us a gift when he tells us, be grateful. Well, there's a third character, the Samaritan. And he lived by still another philosophy. What's mine is yours. And I'm going to share it. The Samaritan, you know, was despised by the Jews. This guy wasn't a church member. He didn't take the name Christian. He was just a person who, when he saw the wounded man, he stopped, cleansed, bandaged his wounds, shared his transportation, and took him to lodging. Think about it. If people outside the church can give that kind of compassion, often more compassion than those of us inside the church, Think of the potential of God should unleash this congregation through the Holy Spirit in a way it's never happened before, softening our hearts, releasing us from the prison of self so we become literally free to make a response to our neighbor in our community in in, in thousands of different ways. Why do we care about others? For one primary reason. Jesus left the comfort of heaven, we're told the riches of heaven. And he came down here as a servant and washed our feet, but ultimately died on a cross. And we celebrate that over and over again. And if that means anything, that should move us to a a gratitude that we, we just can't get over. We have to make a response. You see, we were the ones dying and he came and cared for us at great cost to himself. And now he says, if you want the abundant life, go and care for others as I've cared for you. I believe that once this truth grips our hearts, and I believe it's happening, sharing is an involuntary reaction. Don't share and give because you feel you ought to or you heard a sermon on it. We ought to give and change from hoarding to sharing because we can't help ourselves. We met Jesus. So as we enter the season of Thanksgiving and begin thinking about what response we can make for our blessings, I want to give you a challenge. Are you willing to become involved with the person God will place on your doorstep? If you're willing, he'll put somebody there. Maybe somebody already is there and you've closed your eyes thus far. 
Are you willing to have your schedule interrupted by a distressed neighbor, coworker, friend who has that terrible habit of sharing, showing up just when you're about to do something else? Are you prepared for the hurt and disappointment that often follows helping people? Nothing said in this story that the Samaritan was even, uh, that the wounded stranger was even grateful to the Samaritan for his help. I can tell you, maybe you already know it. Often when you help, you're going to get your hand bitten. And a lot of you don't want to help anymore because every time you've done it in the past, it blew up in your face. Jesus never promised this results. He just told us to do it. Are you willing to share from your hoarded resources, your future security that we idolize so easily? Are you willing to share the load? This is important, to share the load of caring with others. What's interesting in this story, the Samaritan paid the innkeeper to help shoulder his burden of caring. One of the reasons you've heard sermons and gone out and tried and don't do it anymore is you did it all by yourself and you burn out. Caring is a big job and that's why we're in groups and why we do it as a body. It's so much better to do it in concert with some other Christians than to try to do it all by yourself. I pray that our growing awareness of God's blessings in our lives is going to motivate us to adopt this philosophy of life. I want it. What's mine is yours, and I'll gladly share it. As we express our gratitude this year, the result of making a decision to share, I, I pray you're going to find contentment and peace. Wouldn't it be wonderful, Thanksgiving Day, to be absolutely content, not grasping for anything, just to feel fulfilled inside? I, I pray our eyes will be open to the myth that consumption brings happiness. It doesn't. I pray gratitude will deliver us from the lie that we deserve what we have because we earned it. We didn't. May we finally understand we're not owners, only stewards, that we will only fully enjoy God's blessings when we share them with those around us. What would ever motivate such a change for us? If this table won't do it, nothing will. Jesus said, I gave, I gave my life for you. What have you given for me? And then he says, as you've done it unto one of the least of these, you've done it unto me. I can't think of a better door through which to walk into Thanksgiving than for us to come to this table and remember the words of Paul when he said, I delivered unto you as of first importance what I also received, how the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body broken for you. Eat it in remembrance of me. And after the same manner also, our Lord took the cup when he had supped, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Drink you all of it. For as often as you eat the bread and drink the cup, you do show forth the Lord's death until he come. And I pray this week we'll show forth the Lord's death by having a new attitude of being stewards, not owners, to a needy world out there. Would you bow in prayer with me? Lord Jesus, thank you for coming and serving us in ways that just absolutely amaze us that you would wash our feet and die for us. Make us servants after your likeness and use the bread and the wine here today to empower us to do what we can't do in our own strength. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. As you receive the bread, we're going to ask you to hold it, and we'll eat it together.